This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Too often our black... We are oppressed. We are exploited. We are downtrodden. We are denied not only civil rights, but even human rights. So the only way we're going to get some of this oppression and exploitation away from us or aside from us is come together against the common enemy. One day when the glory comes, it will be ours, it will be ours. Oh, one day when the war is won, we will be sure. This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Because the Black Lives Matter movement emerged under a black president, black attorney general, and black homeland security, and they couldn't deliver, you see. So that when you talk about the masses of black people, the precious poor and working class black people, poor and working class brown, red, yellow, whatever color, they're the ones who are left out and they feel so thoroughly powerless, helpless, hopeless, then you get rebellion. And we've reached the point now, it's a choice between nonviolent revolution, and by revolution what I mean is the democratic sharing of power, resources, wealth, and respect. If we don't get that kind of sharing, you're going to get more violent explosions. We must confess that we are the possible. We are the miraculous, the true wonder of this world. That is when and only when we come to it. America's chickens! Coming home! Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. You're gonna sing the swim, you're gonna learn the truth. No matter what you do, Alternative activist empowerment talk radio, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Passes a three-strike law and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God. Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters.
evening to all of you who have joined us here in the Black Sanctuary. This is our common ground. And for those of you who are new to us, it is a sanctuary where we honor and we lift the black narrative, the black truth of our existence in America. Thank you so much for being with us. It is good to see you all. A big shout out. Uh, We are seeing uh, Miss India Declare is in the house. And she has returned to the airwaves, and she is um, so greatly appreciated after many years of uh, broadcasting. She has returned for after a slight um, absence, and we're glad to see her. Tonight at our Common Ground, it is open mic Saturday night, and we have what we try to do is to frame this avant-garde. It's a black avant-garde conversation. Uh, It is not like your usual black talk radio. We don't do a lot of gossiping. We do have a good time every now and then, but this is not a good time time. Uh, We are looking at the clock, and we know that it is time. You know, time. I don't know how many of you lived in the period of Jimi Hendrix, but he was an American musical icon. And uh, during the 60s, when there were really tough times, he captured them with a song. And at the beginning of the, the beginning lyrics was, Time has come today. So we have titled this episode of Our Common Ground, 8 Minutes, 46 Seconds, The Collapse of American Delusions. And my job as host is not to preach to you, to rage to you, to rant to you. It is my job is to raise the questions which I believe are relevant to you in your life and black families all over America. So I'm coming to this episode of Our Common Ground tonight um, with a a very large plate before me. We in this country have seen um, under this pandemic 1.96 million COVID cases that exist today in the United States. Since this pandemic, 111,000 deaths as of today. But time has come again when We are seeing a government which has not been able to comprehend the savagery inside 8 minutes, 46 seconds. So I am trying to form this narrative that you must meet the new week with. 
in a very tentative way about what your view of what we see with hundreds of thousands of people protesting in our streets, a president which is who is not compatible with democracy, and black people who have had to make choices, black people like me who have had to make choices. Do I hit the street? I mean, this is the first time America been, has been in racial turmoil and protesting in the street that I have not been in the street since I was nine years old. Alpha understands that when it came down to it, it is not about what we heard from the White House, but what we said to the White House. And by the way, in case you all haven't gotten the news, and as far as I'm concerned, this was the clapback of the decade. Mayor Bowser in Washington, D.C., has renamed that portion of Pennsylvania Avenue that passes into the White House and around Lafayette Park, Black Lives Matter Plaza. I ain't mad at her. <laughs> the sister put on her crown and said, here you go. This is it. And has letters. I mean, if you've ever been to Washington, D.C., this is a huge street. This is like a boulevard street. It's huge. And she has letters that go from one side of the street walk to the other walk. And it proclaims, and they saw it from space today on the satellite, black lives matter but my question to you tonight is you know i've asked you this question before and i keep going back to it what black lives matters and does any black life matter um and it is a question that we really need to turn over, you know, pick up the black cubics, uh, uh, Rubik's Cube and keep turning and turning. And joining me tonight um, as my special co-host that I have invited to, to be with me uh, for two reasons. One is that he is has such well-developed political insight and that he has honed a perspective, a pair of perspective lenses that come from the place of uh, a trained attorney as well as a key uh, perspective on black culture and politics in this country, and he is Pascal Robert, like Stephen Colbert. Most of you who have been with us for many years um, do know who he is. He's a blogger he lo- who loves all things politics. He's a writer for Black Agenda, Re- Agenda Report, and he has been known for years to the online world as the thought merchant. 
since 2007, he has been recognized for his hard-hitting, blunt, unvarnished style of bringing attention to current events and global affairs. And uh, I am so pleased to have him with us once again. He's a co-founder and list administrator for Haitian Bloggers Caucus. His work and work of the members of the Haitian Bloggers Caucus can be viewed on the new blog aggregator. It includes blogs by people of Haiti, Haitian descent, living in Haiti, and abroad. He is a graduate of Hofstra University and Boston University School of Law. And I'm seeing a 111 here, and I'm hoping that it's the right 111. Pascal, are you with us? Yes, uh, Janet. Okay, that's yeah. Mike. Mike, I got you. I got you, Mike. Uh, Mike Mike was with um, India Declare the other night And he was calling me out So Mike, I got you I'm just waiting for my guests But be, uh, before Pascal I asked him to join us At around 10.15 Let me make these comments If at the local level As you watched George Floyd have the life kneeled out of his body. Eight minutes and 46 seconds. And at that moment, there is no such pretension anymore that in living in America, black people have not escaped the tactics of Jim Crow, the brutality and savagery, effort under the cover of law to ensure that black people are kept in their place. Had there not been for a video camera, had there not been for a video camera, four police officers who murdered a black man would have gotten away with that murder, would have walked away having murdered a man that no one yet has been able to demonstrate committed a a crime. No one yet has been able to demonstrate that there was a legal uh, detention. George Floyd was never arrested. So uh, my question is, When you think about race in America, when you roll over your Rubik's Cube of black life in America, when you turn each one of those sections, are you understanding 
something that will define how you live from this moment. I also want to alert you that there may be a a storm coming through my area and I may lose internet connection, but if that happens, Pascal Robert, who is joining us, will keep keep it going. Brother Pascal Robert, thank you so much for joining us tonight and and for having being my cover got my back. Good to have Not you back. Problem. Thank you very much for the invitation, Janice. How are you doing? Well, Pascal, I'm 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 trying to figure out if we can ever make the promise of democracy real in this country. That's that's a very good question. That's a very, very, very good question. Um I'm you know, I'm I'm looking at this in terms of which is which is why I titled this episode of Our Common Ground in this eight minutes and forty six seconds did all of the hope of Malcolm, the hope of W. E. B. Du Bois, the hope of Ida B, the hope of Ella Baker, did the hope of Stokely, the hope of me, the hope of my mama, the hope of our ancestors. Did it all collapse? <laughs> wow, you know it's it's funny that you, sometimes you and others accuse me of being overly cynical and pessimistic, but I wouldn't be, even be that cynical and pessimistic to believe that the racist injustice of uh, American policing would neutralize the importance and the aspiration of all the ancestors that came before us and laid their lives on the line, many of some of them who were killed, trying to change some of the major core injustices of this country and this society. So I do not believe, to answer your question, I do not believe that in the eight, eight and some odd minutes that George Floyd's life was taken from him by Officer Chauvin, that it killed all of the work and the aspirations of all of those people uh, who nobly sacrificed to change the condition of not only for black people in this country, but for the condition of humanity in the world and to bring justice and try to make this place live up to the at least the truth of what it declares itself to be as opposed to the hypocrisy of what it's always been. So I would not be that pessimistic um, to answer your question. Well, here's the problem. Here's the problem. And um, we're we're just framing this, folks. It is going to be an open mic Saturday night, but here's the problem. Uh, For the past, I've been in this fight for 50 years. That's basically my whole life. Yeah, I know. (laughs) For the past 30 years, there has been one link broken after another. One link broken after another. You know, my mother was a founder, one of the founders of the links. And one of the things she she used to say is... um, when one one of the members died or something, 
she used to send out this card that said, a link has been broken. And I kind of thought that was preposterous, but, you know, whatever they wanted to do. Um, and But I think about that image of somebody holding up our community, holding up the promise of black power, the promise of black empowerment, and they die, who takes their place? Who holds up that part of the wall they've been holding up or that part of the, part of the black sky that they've been holding up? Who does that? But, 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 but anyway, here, here's the thing, and, and you and I have talked about it, um, and I want my audience to know where I'm coming from on this is that on Thursday night, my grandson went to a protest that was organized by young people in the town that he lives in, and it was going real well. And um, it was mostly teenagers and young people, no adult leadership from the from the town uh, had helped them organize this. They went to the commuter rail station in the parking lot on a on a Thursday night after the c- commuter time, and the the cars, the commuter car, people who left their cars in the parking lot had gone home, and they were um, uh, shouting, uh, "I can't breathe." and um, power, whatever, whatever young people do. It was very, you know, it was like about 500 people. And teenagers were getting loud, and and they were laughing. And um, so the local police called in the state police. The state police showed up with dogs. I was watching this on live TV. And they're at a protest march where my grandson was. My grandson! The police brought dogs. And when talking with him about it later, he said to me, I knew what the dogs were about. The other kids, some kids couldn't figure out what the dogs were, but I under he understood the symbolism of dogs at a protest demonstration. Twenty and, and, and Pascal, that's why I'm bringing this up. That's why the cynicism in me wrote, ha, has risen into the surface of my cheek. And are on the edge of my voice. But on the other side of that, this should be part of you to say that you should be honored and proud that your grandson had the temerity to understand why he needed to be protesting, as opposed to, you know, 10 years ago on the eve of the election of our black president when some of our black people were saying we were moving to a post-racial America. And that we need to get beyond this civil rights stuff. You know, I have a pretty long memory when it comes but, to but 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 you know the the thing that I'm saying to the audience, the question I'm asking the, the audience is to what extent we haven't moved past Jim Crow, past Montgomery, 1966, past well, the bombing of 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 four young children 
in a church in Birmingham. Well, I think that I think that to make that metaphor is dangerous for us for uh, for a certain reason. As you know me, I always re- relate the reality of black life of everything in this society to the primary function of what America functions for to protect the interests of capitalism. And the main reason why I would not say what the events that we witnessed with the death of George Floyd and what we're witnessing today is basically reminiscent of Jim Crow, what happened in Jim Crow, is that Jim Crow was primarily an economic paradigm of racial wealth extraction that was about subjugating black people to a particular type of economy, largely sharecropper, agricultural, and domestic labor, to basically relegate them to capital accumulation in a way that made them less than second-class citizens. And though we may be experiencing racial oppression today, the economic regime that is causing that, which some call neoliberalism or late-stage capitalism, is not the same in terms of the relationship between black people capitalism today and black people and capitalism in 1955. In 19, up until 1960, over 55% of black America lived below the poverty line. Today it's less than 25. Now I'm not saying that, you know, that, that we are, you know, a rosy situation and we have overcome. There are profound problems that exist in the society for particularly poor and working class black people. But I am very, very, uh, Leery when we get to this notion that you know nothing has changed and we're back to you know 1954 and so on. So one thing that has changed is that we have over 10,000 plus black elected officials that are maintaining this regime in particularly all black cities with all black police chiefs that are facilitating the same kind of system that is killing black people by cop all over the country. That was that happening during Jim Crow. And one of the reasons why I feel that it's important to complicate that narrative is that in, in, in terms of looking at this some kind of ontological, meaning some kind of earth science like white supremacist oppression, is that what does white supremacy look like when you have a mayor of a black city is the one that is the one that's implementing the police checks and sending you know, your teenage sons and neighbors into, into the grist mill of prison for mass incarceration. Yeah, but what you're, what I, 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 I think it's a, a very pertinent um, part of the discussion that we must have. But essentially, we we have to conclude that we have a different kind of renewed scrutiny of police, but uh, ver- and 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 we're re- revisiting some of the things that we need to to do politically, but while we have this renewed scrutiny, we have ramped up brutality. Well, I think that part of the problem is, and I want to stay on this metaphor you use, I always go back, I think part of the problem we have here is that many of the thought leaders that we have among black folk still refer to the oppression of the past as the paradigm for the for the exploitation of today. In other words, I'm not trying to say it was better than or worse than. What I'm saying is that 
Uh, capitalism can always renovate itself in a way in where the illusion of comfort for certain black people allows them to be convoluted to the reality that for large segments of fellow black people, they're being ground to powder. And one of the dangers of using models of prior ways in which black people were oppressed is that it creates this illusion that this illusion that black people are the 46 million black people we have in this country are 12 folks sitting in a barbershop all together, which is not the case. I would argue it's never been the case, but it particularly hasn't been the case in the post-civil rights era. So what I'm saying is that I'm not trying to say that there are not black people who are suffering today. There are many black people who are suffering today. What I'm saying is that the nature of suffering is different than it was during Jim Crow. In many ways, what makes it bad is that many of us for so many years, before the death of George Floyd, before COVID-19, before many other things, before, you know, video cameras were allowed you to, to videotape, you know, murder by cop that happened all the time, throughout American history, many of us in the post-civil rights era were deluded to believing that everything was okay and we had arrived. Mm-hmm. But, and what I'm speaking to is where we have arrived. This, this moment we are in, what does it mean in terms of our relationship to the country that we live in, our relationship democracy as it is defined by our government. Uh, before you joined us, one of the things that I think we have to, to highlight, and I did, was that we are living in a government with a president that is incompatible with even the ideals of dem- democracy that this country flout before us. And here's where I am on, 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 on what is happening now. The fear and the stress of black people is the same as it was when I was growing up. My dad had his shotgun and his, oh, I forgot what, what that was, that big, big handgun that he had. Today... My daughter went to gun training, arms training, whatever, and sent me a picture of her holding an AR-15 because it was <laughs> because it was one of the guns that where she went for this training was. Um, being touted as as protection. So where are we in this moment? And that is what we need to be doing because we can no longer have delusions about who we are as black people in this country collectively, and we have to get clear about who the – our relationship with people like George Floyd, with people like the mother of Tamir um, uh, Rice, to, 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 I mean, you, you think about Breonna Taylor, who, who would have celebrated her 27th birthday yesterday, but she is dead 
because savagery and brutality, um, because spite and hatred, because fear bedded in our policing. Well, first of all, I'm and, the, ask you and the politicians that you're talking about, they're, they're, they're scared of the police. You know, I, 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 let me just say this, and I'll let you back in, and then we're going to take some calls. Uh, today, Joshua Johnson, uh, who is a commentator and a reporter for NBC, he was hosting a, uh, a show on MSNBC today, and he was talking with the mayor, Mayor Potter, of St. Paul, Minnesota. And he said to him, which I almost fell off this chair when he asked the question, he says, how are you going to change policing in St. Paul when the police officers don't care about what you have to say? They don't care about you as the mayor. They don't care about the governor. They are living in their own world. Then why should we invest in saying that it's going to be any better for us to have them there in the first place as a black mayor of St. Paul? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that, that really is a question because what this has done over the 11, last 12 days has done is has diluted the empowerment of any black uh, elected official that, you know, that you had. Look at Kamala Harris and Cory Booker. They're in the Senate after 401 years, after 200, 200 years, having to fight the cause of anti-lynching, the same cause that Ida B. Wells and the NAACP fought back in um, 1921. Well, I mean, the first thing we're going to have to do, I mean, I'm glad you brought this up, and I hope you're willing to have this conversation we have to interrogate the question of what is the purpose and function of the black political class and what is the black political class? Because some black people don't even know that we have a black political class. What is their purpose or function? Is their purpose or function to work towards the liberation of black people or is their purpose or function as to work as basically the tools of the ruling class subjugation of the black poor and working class in blackface to make it easier for those who run society, whether uh-huh. they're based, and, and, you know, white or otherwise. In yeah, other words, we could talk it's about easier that because I don't think... Go ahead. What I'm saying is it's, it's easier easy. when, Ke- when, when, when Keisha Lance Bottoms is mayor of a black city in Atlanta, where recently we have two police officers were were uh, were reprimanded for for abusing students at HBCU down there. It's easier for her to discipline the black people who are getting out of control by saying y'all ain't living up to the legacy of the civil rights movement out here chasing for that brown liquor. Having Kira Mike talking about my uncle was a cop, such and such was a cop, this is Atlanta's a black mecca. I really implore your audience, if they have not yet, to watch the HBO documentary Atlanta's Missing and Murdered. If anyone you know, particularly black folk, have not watched this documentary yet, they have to really watch this documentary. And let me tell you why this documentary is so important. Because this documentary does a very good job in the first two episodes of collapsing the mythology of the black mecca 
created by the black political class in Atlanta because the documentary is about the the, the Atlanta child murders that take place between 1979 and 81, and it illustrates how all of these petite bourgeois Negroes who thought that they were creating this Negro mecca of black empowerment didn't give a damn about the fact that these poor and working-class black children were being murdered by the dozens. They didn't give a damn. Here, here's here's another point that the fact that a 12 year old can be assassinated, and I said this last week, can be assassinated in a park while playing across the street from his house, and there was no eruption, there was no national black voice that insisted that somebody go to jail for it. Somebody go to jail for it. Uh, Pascal, we're going to take a break, and when we come back. Now, for those of you who are new, open mic night is not designed for you to make speeches. Um, We're going to open up our lines. We're going to take your calls. Uh, I want you to make an opening statement, ask some questions, and let's have a discussion. Let's not have speeches made um, because that is not the point. If you want to make a speech, you can call me, and I'll record the speech, and I'll play it on one of my breaks or something. But let's not have any speeches going on here. Um, And I certainly want to hear from you. But let's give everybody an opportunity to have something to say. You're listening to Our Common Ground. My co-host tonight, I am so glad to have him back here, is Pascal Robert. You know him. He is a, our Common Ground voice for many, many years. And we're going to be right back. Oh. Before we can write it down, the number is 347-838-9852. Call a friend. Tell them to come on in. For joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Today, men in their 40s have a lot to celebrate. For most, it's the beginning of the best years of their lives, especially if they've had a benchmark test for possible early signs of prostate cancer. Because a simple blood test in your early 40s can mean fully enjoying the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. A prostate exam means staying alive. 
make the Constitution real for all Americans. You see, Justice Marshall said the basis of the Constitution is simply this, that a black baby born to a black mother, the most uneducated black mother, the most inarticulate black mother, the most impoverished black mother, has the same exact rights as a white baby born to a white mother, the most educated white mother, the most articulate white mother, has the most affluent white mother just by virtue of that baby drawing its first breath as an American. About Jesus' mighty sword, and they shield you with their wings, and keep you close to the Lord. Don't pay heed to temptation, for His hands are so cold. You gotta help me keep the devil way down in the hole. And now back to Janice. And thank you again for being with us here at Our Common Ground. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook at Our Common Ground Talk Radio. And you can also keep up with what's going on and get subscribed to get our newsletter, to get information. We are posting a lot of really hot stuff on www.ourcommonground.com and you can follow me on Twitter. I have been really active in the last year on Twitter at Janice OCG. Uh, we want to thank all of the people who are in our chat room and if you really want the best seat in the house, you can come to Block Talk Radio backslash OCG and go down to the bottom of the page and click in and come to the chat room. It says, do you want to come into the chat room or do you want to sign up, whatever. But um, join us in our chat room because people really do um, uh, engage with each other uh, as we conduct this talk. Our number is 347-838-9852. If you would like to give us a call, Pascal, we're going to go right to our phones. But I I do want to say that one of the things that I need people to do is to really write down the new address of the White House. And it's 1600 Black Lives Matter Plaza. (laughs) I know he is steaming. I'm scared to even go and take a look at his Twitter feed tonight because he is living at 1600 Black Lives Matter Plaza. And a real shout-out to the mayor of um, of Washington, D.C. for that. And don't forget, we're coming up on Juneteenth, and uh, we'll tell you more about that later in the in the broadcast. Uh, so we're going to go to Mike. 
and move towards the right-wing agenda of what some call neoliberalism or late-stage capitalism, which is about extracting wealth and resources and defunding the government, as opposed to actually being interested in protecting the interests of communities of ours, which are disproportionately poor and working class. So I don't disagree with you that the Democrats are, are wrong with their messaging, but I would argue the reason that their messaging is problematic is because their sincere intention is not rooted in representing the interests of who we think they are, but to actually to conspire with those that we are always pointing as the enemy for, for both of them to mutually work for the same people, which are the banksters, the fraudsters, the corporate interests that ground us all as a powder many of us being black, white, or otherwise as well. Now, I, well, you may disagree with that, but, but I think that history has proven me correct in that analysis. Well, I'll say, it, I'll say this. When you say it and put it in that frame, in, in that frame of that narrative, I'll say supporting a Democrat opposed to a supporting Republican is simply supporting the lesser of two evils. I don't disagree with what you say, but supporting the lesser of two evils is not problematic because when has this country been anything other than evil? Let me let me jump in here for a minute, Alpha. That also speaks to the issue uh, that you have been raising for a number of years, and that is why when something important happens and the 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 Demo- the established democrats start moving on a particular thing the individual democratic um uh structure doesn't go out and they're in front of the media and they're delivering the message and they're backing up whatever they say it's a game let's let's, let's... Let's take a let's let's use a tangible, tangible policy. All right, let's let's talk, let's let, you know we you know let's we all follow politics here, you know extensively. Let's put the brass tacks on the table. Recently, within the week, as a result of the 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 proliferous marches, protests, rebellions that we've had in the wake of the death of George Floyd, the Congressional Black Caucus was spearheading a legislative a legislative initiative in in the in the house to uh stop the military armament of the police now number one, you would ask why did it take them to see this country literally being turned upside down with protests for them to do that but the larger question is how exactly did we get to the point where the police are being given military weaponry, and who exactly were the Democrats that co-signed that? And what you will find, surprise, surprise, is that the supermajority, 33 members of the Congressional Black Caucus, agreed and voted in favor of providing military hardware to police throughout the country. Now, that's not even just an indictment of Democrats. This is supposed to be the conscience of the Congress, the Congressional Black Caucus, that represents all of our black interests since we're all supposed to be a quote-unquote collective. 
But at the same time, you will see these Negroes in the CBC with pictures of George Floyd screaming Black Lives Matter. Let's have a conversation about that. Because nobody wants to talk about those things. Because it's very easy for us among black folk, when these things happen, to raise our fingers and say, the white man, the white man, the white man. No, but listen, there's always some Negro that is facilitating the oppression. And the oppression couldn't happen without that Negro. So the question becomes, why are, not, why are we not interested in interrogating what role do our supposed political representatives have in facilitating the carnage that is grounding our people to powder throughout the country? It's a, it, 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 it certainly is a prolific question. And uh, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, 9 years ago, India, um, Alpha, we were all talking about um, the militarization of policing. Simply the whole idea of police uh, uniform up to their gills in military guard. That whole image, I think, is very important uh, in, in that question. Now, I want to go back to the Black Congressional Caucus because we have um, <laughs> we have invited Rever- um, Representative Congressman Al Green from Texas uh, to be a guest on this show. We haven't heard back from them yet to ask exactly, not from the established Black Congressional Caucus, but from a member of that caucus who has been very straightforward about what we need to do in terms of reform of, of, um, of, of policing. And one of the things that I think is a question that ought to come out of the caucus is who we hire to police and what is the mission of police? Because at this point, I think that all of the rhetoric about reforming police, I don't want to hear about training. I don't want to hear about, I want to hear about who you hire and who have we hired in the last 15 years? Well, this is, you just asked a very important question, and I was hoping we would get in that direction because this is the crux of the matter, is that no one is interrogating what exactly is the function of police in capitalist America. What the do you pro- think, Alpha? Well, the function is just the police from uh, an era long gone of slavery is to keep them in line. It's not so much to facilitate law and order in in the community, or you know, it, it, this is this is the sham. The Black Caucus has been a 
they'll do what's politically correct. They'll do just enough to get by. And that's what this entire movement will face. Brace yourself for a major battle with the police unions and with the hoodless Klansmen. Those are the police unions. And uh, Mr. Robert, you're absolutely right. These people are, they are facilitators of the arming, the military uh, arming of these police departments. But what did you expect when they have so much military gear that they've gotten that's been handed down from all of these wars? No, I, I, I'm not, believe me. Well, I am uh, wait a minute, that's a, that's a key piece because one of the things that I've been thinking over the last 10 years is the preference for veterans that every police department across the country has uh, in, 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 in hiring, that a veteran will get preference and we are seeing veterans coming out of the Mid-Eastern Wars with PTSD and with all the other cultural and psychological problems that they go into the military with, compounded by the ravages, the emotional and psychological ravages of war. So that preference is problematic. The other is residential requirements. Cities specifically don't have a preference or requirement for people who are in their police departments to be a resident of that city. But you go into a suburban city or uh, a suburban or smaller urban area, and they do have the residential requirements. So that's all part of the, 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 the problem here. Well, the whole infrastructure of policing and the relationship of the police to municipalities, the police unions, and the particular special legal and judicial treatment that police officers get. How, how can we don't have an interrogation of what's called the Law Enforcement Officers Bill of Rights or the Police Officers Bill of Rights, which 16 states have already passed since 1974, several states have incorporated, some states have it in their state constitution, which literally provides police any time that they are accused of malfeasance, extrajudicial, particular special due process rights to protect them against being held accountable for malfeasance that ensures that union representation gets to interrogate them, the scene of the crime and all the accusers and all their co-policemen beforehand, drafting statements, providing them with lawyers. A whole infrastructure is set up 
documentarily and legally between the city, the state, some, and, and the police unions and the police officers who are performing these acts to protect their interests so they can get away with this with impunity. This has to be interrogated. Why are we talking about the use of force matrix or the use of force continuum, which is a paradigm that basically dictates how much and what kind of force a police officer can use when interacting with a suspect or a citizen, and why is it that certain types of abuse or brutalities are allowed to exist within the paradigm of the use of force continuum or the use of force matrix? So these are particular questions that I like to ask those who are professing to be on the front lines of the fight against police brutality like Black Lives Matter, why are we not interrogating the structural nature of the actual ways in which the rules, regulations, and dictates of policing are designed to give police impunity for the murder by cop that is going on throughout the country? And perpetuating the 12th straight night of protests and demonstrations across this country, across the world, actually. Um, You know, what is interesting is that there have been four people killed in association with these demonstrations and protests in the United States. And even in um, uh, China and and, and, um, North Korea, where there have been protests, Nobody has been killed. What is up with that? But let's go back to who signs. You know, it's really interesting to me, Alpha, that that the police unions, in terms of protecting its memberships, what is that noise, Alpha? What are you doing? Uh, somebody's moving around. Is being picked up on the mic. Um, in 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 terms of uh, the poli- police unions, they are in terms in 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 success in protecting their memberships from performance and behavior uh, uh, violations more successful than any other unions. The other question that Pascal that you raised and Alpha has raised is who are the people who are signing off on the kinds of union contracts that protect police officers from the assassination of a 12-year-old boy in a playground or the detention and arrest of a woman in a Texas jail who goes in alive and comes out dead, or the wrongful murder <laughs> of Brianna Jones, who was in her bed sleeping, and there was a no-knock warrant. Who are the people the signing wrong, off on these That contracts? was implemented on the wrong house, on the wrong house. Yes, yeah, on the wrong house. They were in the wrong place. And they, and they already have the man. In custody. That's correct. They already had him in custody. So how are we ending up as taxpayers with contracts with police unions that protect 
that kind of performance. When a union in the federal government or the state government or in, 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 or in uh, AFL-CIO can't protect an employee from being terminated because they come to work late. Who are the people? Well, because they go, well the main go reason happens, go, the, the main reason this happens, it goes back to interrogating what exactly is the function of police. The function of the police is to discipline the surplus labor quotient of American society to prepare them to be mass incarcerated in the interest of protecting capital. What does that mean? Who is the sur- who who is going to be largely the surplus labor quotient? Because we live in a racialized capitalist society, it's going to be black people. Because capitalism requires that in order for black people to not realize that they're being ground to powder, just like black folk in larger number, not at the same rate, that they believe that only black folk face the vicissitudes of the capitalist system, which requires that you have a surplus re- redundant labor quotient that is relegated to be housed so they do not become, you know, radical or disruptive. The police is there to discipline those, those, those surplus labor courses, which ends up meaning facilitating in order to protect property and capital that black people are disciplined and are eventually mass incarcerated. That's what cops do. Forget, protect, yeah. and serve. This is about protecting the interests of capital and property. Yeah, Alpha. I'm going to ask you to uh, sum sum up where you are in this moment that we are in. Uh, I see Mike has uh, called back in, and I'm going to take his call after we take a slight break. So, where are we in your estimation, Alpha? What are we? Well, Janice, I'll say I'll say this again. Since 2010, I have been politically angry. And I'll remain politically angry up until the fact, until the point where we can get a certain change, a certain change in the way this country handles and approaches black men. And I know I'll be angry for a long time. Thank you very much, Janice. Alpha, I'm going to put you on hold because I have some, I have some things I want to ask you about. Um, but I'm going to go to break, then go to Mike, and I want to come back to you uh, when we, when Pascal and I talk about some of the issues that we need to politically be placing on referendum. And I also want to talk to you about. Um, Mitch McConnell, who uh, announced today that as long as he is the Senate Majority Leader, there will never be uh, universal insurance for all. So I'm going to put you on hold. We're going to go to break, and then we're going to come to Mike. Pascal, I'm I'm so glad you're with uh, with us tonight because you you really bring it home on on some of these issues because I'm just overwhelmed in the thought of the viciousness 
of police brutality in our face uh, during this week. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Our number is 347-838-9852 if you would like to join us in this um, in this conversation about where we are in this moment. Eight minutes, 46 seconds, 46 seconds have changed our positioning. Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals, the United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Because we don't take this stuff seriously. These folks got a plan, and they've been working their plan for a very long time. And I can say that because when I say 50 years, on the same damn thing. So they're moving ahead with a plan, y'all, but I, we seem to be in some kind of virtual loop here. What it used to be 
And now back to Janice. Yep, they got a plan, and they've been working their plan. Thank you for being here with us at Our Common Ground. This is the Sanctuary for Black Truth, and our number is 347-838-9852. I have with us tonight as our co-host, Brother Pascal Robert. I know, I know, Pascal, you're going to say that I, I hooked you into this tonight and the storm did never come, and and y'all have no idea what kind of storming goes on in Florida. It rains like it's a hurricane every day. My poor grills are just sitting out there. I can't smoke on my patio. I can't. I can't do anything because it's just pouring rain every day. My flowers are beautiful, and you all know I love gardening, but th- this is this is kind of crazy. And part of the problem is, Pascal, when it pours and has this torrential rain going on, we live in a villa, and it's hitting the roof. And I have to turn the if if I'm watching TV or I'm listening to music, I have to turn the TV from a 15 volume setting all the way up to a 38 volume setting in order to hear the TV. The number here is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. I would rather snowstorm. You don't hear no snow. It's just something different. Pascal, uh, one of the things, and we're going to come to you, Mike. One of the things that I do want to talk to you about is what the hell happened with the hip-hop community, Charlemagne, the God, and he's talking (laughs) to Rush Limbaugh, um, and hip-hop people going around talking about, they're talking about real politics, and and I know you all going to say, well, I'm an old lady, and I got something out for the real politics. But at the at the end of the show, I do have something for you, so you need to stay until the show is over. Many, many years ago when LL Cool J was a teenager, I was roped into interviewing him at a radio station where I was working. I had no idea what he said, what... Even if I listened to his music back then, I wouldn't have been able to understand what he was talking about. And I got roped into interviewing him because he was in the in the in the station, and they wanted. And my program manager said, "You got to interview this guy." I had no idea who he was. He was just a teenager, and of course, I was preaching to him about what he needed to do with his music and what we required and what we needed in terms of messaging the young people, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the program tonight, we're going to take eight minutes and 46 seconds, and LL Cool J, who is now a very grown man and a very successful uh, entertainer and actor and the whole nine yards, um, is going to be a part of that. Mike, thank you so much for being with us here tonight. And I'm sorry you had a technical problem. I hope you're better. You're on the air. I, I, I respect so. you. I, I, there I you so go, too. Mike. Is it good? Yes, it's good. You good. We got you. Okay. Good. I I, I uh, greet your co-host, uh, Pascal, as well, and uh, Mr. Alfo as well, too, my dear friend. Wait, 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 time out, 
Time out. Did you call Alpha Mr. Alpha? <laughs> you just made my day. Okay, go ahead, Mike. Yes. I mean, sorry. No, I said Alpha, right? Oh, I thought you said Mr. Alpha. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. No, no. I, I said Alpha. Uh, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, thank you for having me. I mean, the... I mean, everything that has happened is just because 400 years of oppression against uh, African-Americans and also uh, against Middle Eastern, Arabs, and Chinese, and uh, and Native American as well, too. So right now, we are in the boiling point. And, you know... uh, System has to be changed. Everything needs to be changed. Police has to be changed. Everything has to be changed to... Okay, let's break down your everything, Mike. Let's break down your everything. What do you think is the most important thing that has to be changed? You know, police means obedience. It stands for politeness. It stands for lawfulness. And courtesy, C stands for courtesy, E stands for uh, equality. So, I mean, you cannot uh, just say one person, uh, you are good, and another person, you, you, in case of Rodney King, for example, I mean, uh, you beat uh, him up. I mean, we need universal code of the law. We need universal uh, uh, human rights to be applied in United States of America and around the globe. Right now, today, uh, London was uh, uh, protesting for favor of Americans are uh, protesting in United States uh, against oppression and uh, all the everything that we know. And uh, France as well too, Australia as well too. I mean, the world is with people of the United States of America. We should remember that. Well, let me ask you, are you in London or in England, in the U.K.? Uh, no. No, no, no. Okay. I am in Singapore. Okay. Um, here, is, here is my question for you. In... Um, in a period where we have a president who is trying to change the balance of global power uh, by the exclusion of our European, Canadian, and other allies that have been traditional human rights uh, comrades of the allies of the United States to the extent that it happens. What do you believe if you talk about universal equality? What do you Uh, believe has to happen there? Uh, I mean, you know, uh, United States is cosmopolitan. United States, we have people from all over the world, are citizens of this beloved country, including myself. 
And so the re, the question is, everybody is treated to be equally. Everybody is treated without racism. Everybody needs to be treated uh, without uh, any kind of uh, discriminations, uh, whether it's housing, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, loan for the house or anything else, you know, or loan for a car, etc. I mean, people, we need to have universal real equality for the people of United States of America and for everyone. I mean, including, uh-huh. as I say, including everyone. But the question is, we have here uh, four evil forces in the United States. They don't like that. They don't like that people are awake already. They don't like that uh, Black Lives Matter was written in the streets of uh, Washington, D.C., across from the, uh, you know, White House. I mean, they don't like that. They say uh, Black Lives Matter Plaza right now, uh, the street, one of the streets, as you mentioned earlier in your uh, speech. And so basically, when, as long as racism and disequality and disproportions of wealth uh, exist in the United States, we are not going to see peace in the United States of America. We need yeah, yeah. to address all these issues until peace and tranquility counts for everyone. Go ahead, please, Janice. Yes. Okay, Mike. Well, you know, thank you for your input and and your um, and your sharing of your where you are in this moment. And I, I, you know, I, I think that one of the things we have to always distinguish in these conversations is that there is a difference between equality and equity. Uh, and we also have to parse... Equality, the difference between equality and justice as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And and, and, the, question, and, the, and the question that we have to sit on and we have to think about in terms of the changes that you've alluded to, uh, Mike, is is whether or not we have the infrastructure and the tools to do it. But I think one of the things is for sure is that these protests are going to be uh, around for a long time. I, I think that uh, a, a, one, a, a great strategy is to make sure that these issues are imprinted upon the American political landscape to get us to November 3rd Uh, because nothing is going to be possible of anything that you have suggested and proposed that must happen uh, with um, a corrupt criminal empire that has taken over uh, the government machine. The government machine is very important in all of this. So thank you, Mike, for your call, and I really um, enjoyed your your comments, and I'm so glad you're you're with us. And um, I will make sure that I know when you're on our board. I'm going to check these one 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 numbers. (laughs) Can I say something else, please, Jen? Yeah, of course. Uh, 
Yes, we need government of people, by the people, for the people established once for the United States Constitution. I mean, right now, we have government of Amazon for the Amazon by the Amazon. We don't want that anymore. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. Uh, And you have a empowering week. And um, we look forward to hearing back from you um, next time. You should. Thank you very much. Okay. That was uh, Mike, and he is always with us, uh, Pascal. And one of the things, you know, I, I really want people to concentrate on this idea that there are, we lost our democracy. Uh, democracy faded and then collapsed in the last two and a half years. But now what we are seeing is the the collapse, the shattering of the delusions in which American citizens have about race in this country. I know I have been criticized. I mean, when I first started the show, um, back in 1985, one of the things that I was constantly saying that in America, race is everything. And people were saying, oh, that's not true, you know, blah, 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 come by, yeah, whatever. So, Pascal, when I hear a, a man of goodwill hoping for this country to be a country with a government for the people and by the people, I kind of want to do, you know, want to crawl in my bag of come up. And you know how you you talk about com, the coming up. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and I don't I I I I don't. Maybe, you know, I had a boss once who told me, Graham, you blast people in meetings and you don't understand. You're two weeks ahead of everybody. You see it two weeks ahead. And you have to give people a chance to catch up. Well, damn, I've been waiting for black people to catch up since I was 1968. And ain't nobody, you know, it doesn't seem they're catching up. And with every generation, they're out in the, you know, when they come out in the street, they're out in the street as though this just started happening. <laughs> That's uh, that is a very very sobering uh, analysis of the reality that we're in. And the larger question, when you're talking about that we're in a crisis of democracy, is that, you know, I think that we need to interrogate is something that is very important. To me, when, you know, we talk about the condition of black people, I always believe it's very important, and I said this before, to understand what are the dynamics that are going on in the broader society that we live in and what is going on in the world. And what we have going on in the world 
in the last four to five, six, seven years is that the liberal democratic order, I don't mean liberal like liberal in the traditional conservative liberal sense, the liberal democratic order that took place after World War II that became the point in which the United States rose in ascendance to the primary central force of the global empire, the liberal democratic order that was agreed upon by global forces that set a certain paradigm of business, economic competition, and the rules of engagement, even though they mostly existed within a Cold War paradigm for a while and so on and so forth, and then we had the collapse of the Soviet Union, that liberal democratic order has no is now not considered, considered valid, not only to a certain faction of the United States, but in many developed countries of the world. Now, in saying that, I, don't, I am not saying that black people should romanticize that liberal democratic order because that quote-unquote liberal democratic order never worked for us in this country anyway. And it's when I hear people say that Donald Trump represents American fascism, I will say that before the end of Jim Crow, when were black people not living in fascism in this country? Mm-hmm. But the larger point that I'm trying to get to is that because of the internal contra- contradictions of capitalism and the failure of the ability to have a public goods type of government, what do I mean by that? You had my friend Tori Reed on your show, a government that's about providing services to the public. That concept has been out the window for 40 years. Because we've moved to this rapacious capitalism, using this term that is common called neoliberalism, which is a glorified word for hyper-privatization and market-driven capitalism that robs government of its function. When we had the crash in 2008, and we had the global government as well as the United States moving to austerity, which basically is a fancy word to say that the public is getting all of its government services cut to finance paying off the errors of the capitalist banksters, which is what happened. People all over the world, in the United States, in Europe, in France, began to not believe in that liberal democratic order. They started to see when there's a crisis of capitalism, as I believe it was Marx or Engels that said, fascism begins to rise. They looked at the influx of immigrants. People started to talk about Mexicans in America and say that these people are the problem. And what we saw, as much as we hate Donald Trump, Donald Trump is one star in a constellation. You had Brexit in England. You had Front National in France. You had UKIP in London. You had all of these reactionary right-wing forces taking hold in Europe even before Trump. And Trump is the final encapsulation of that in the United States. And this is a reaction to the failure of their mechanisms to protect the interests of their own citizens. And since they believe that their white skin should give them the best, when they're being literally 
literally dying from heroin and, and methadone and oxy and everything else in massive numbers, they react and choose the most reactionary racist forces to represent their interests. And that's why we have Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the epitome of what happens in American capitalism when the charade of the liberal democratic order that never protected black people starts to fail them. And just like in Europe, they chose reactionary white nationalists. In the United States, we chose reactionary white nationalists. Now, the question that I have, and I'm talking on a large, broad, macro analysis, is, is the pendulum, has the right-wing reactionary, the right-wing reactionary global turn that includes Donald Trump run its course enough so that the the stewards of American capitalism, who were not much better than neoliberal Democrats, who kind of got us here or helped us get here, are they going to be trusted to be the, the, the better stewards? In other words, has that politics, that reactionary white nationalism, has it worn its course out? Well, I don't know. Uh, we can talk about that um, in in the in the context of black people right now are simply afraid of the police. Uh, we're going to go to four or four. You're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call. Oh, thanks for letting me on. Salute to everybody that's on. And uh, I, I think Pascal just hit it on the head. Uh, this yeah. of, <laughs> of so-called democracy and this idea, it only works if people believe it. Uh, it it's, it's similar to playing like some kind of you know little gambling game at a casino or whatever. Once the people decide that the games are rigged, then you have difficulty trying to not only get people to play – but to, to respect what it is you're trying to do. So Absolutely. to try mm-hmm. and answer Pascal's question, I would say no. I, I would say not only is the right-wing reactionary uh, movement not finished yet, I would say right now we see them clawing on to reasons why to continue to support this man and come up with rid- ridiculous versions of reality and deciding that's actually what's going on as opposed to, <laughs> what they're really dealing with, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that phantom uh, great economy that we've seen the past two years to where the majority of working uh, class people didn't really participate in and it didn't really get the gains from it, but the right-wing reactionary ones acted as if they did. So I, I think you'll see more of that performance. I don't think they're, they're fully buying in. And as far as, uh, like, this moment with the protests and everything – I don't think white people have changed their mind about race. I, I think right now this the, the Floyd case was so open and so in everybody's face to where it was hard for people to make excuses or come up with different reasons to kind of distract that people had to say, okay, this is a bad one. And we see them out there, but I don't think they're out there because of Floyd necessarily. I think they're out there because they feel like government has failed them. They feel like this nation is you know, showing them what, lower living standards, Labor share of GDP has done nothing but go down since way back. You want to talk about unions, the only one we can really speak of is what, the police union maybe? So when Mm -hmm. those people see all of that, I think they're just hitting at what? This country is in decline. We're seeing huge problems. And this is a a reason why we can get out there with those black folks who are correct in this sense. 
So yep. when you see Antifa yep. out there or, you know, anarchists and all those other people, I think they're participating because of what they feel like neoliberals and, and neocons have done and, yeah. you know, yeah. their returns from it. And, you know, it, and it's, it's really interesting. It's really interesting that no one has raised those what you have just articulated, no one has raised those when they start talking about, well, it's more it's some, in, in some of these, uh, the black population in some of these communities that have huge protests uh, don't have a huge black population. And there are lots and lots of white people out in the street protesting. And I think uh, that that is not part of the collapse of the racial uh, delusions, I think that's you're absolutely right that it is in response to the failure of neoliberalism. Hey, four four, thank you can for your call. I've got some other. Jen, yep. Janice, can I add one more thing? Mm-hmm. And sure. If the balance of if the balance of power doesn't change, their emotional response to race doesn't matter anyway. If we're still looking at you know the system as it is. And uh, somebody who covered this uh, well, just like Pascal did, uh, Mark Blythe, uh, that book, Austerity, the History of a Dangerous great, Idea. Uh, really good book. Uh-huh. Great yeah. economic. Uh, yeah. okay. I'm a big fan of Mark Blythe. Yeah. What's the title? Uh, What's the title? Austerity, the History of a Dangerous Idea by Mark Blythe. Okay. Yeah, well, uh, I hope people hear that title and begin to really get a deeper understanding of all of this is going on, you know, like um I'm I'm really pushing Sarah Kinzendor's uh hiding in plain sight. Um I just finished reading Dark Towers, which is the history of Dorsher Bank. Um mm. so um um uh, thank you very much uh for that recommendation and I think your 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 comments are quite pertinent and they are really worth our listeners uh, concentrating on what are the real issues going on here because we, I mean, I think about uh, watching Tamir Rice and and perhaps I'm an era in comparing the response of the nation to the the video of of uh, Floyd. Uh, George Floyd's murder and there are white people out there who are saying well I need to know more what the hell do you need more on an 8 minute and 46 second murder when you can see it in a video 404 thank you so much for your call I hope you'll join us every Saturday night and we can talk more with you about these issues. I am going to 314. You're on the air. Thank you for your call. I love following that on. guy, my uh, friend there in Atlanta. I'm glad to know that he's still doing good. But no, I'm a Donald Trump supporter and voter for it. And I did so because of his issue. But you know, the funny thing, there's about three or four videos of whites getting killed the same way typically as George did. Bye, boy. 585, you're on the air. Thank you for your call. Hey, um, okay. First off, I just want to say I'm an Asian person, okay? I'm an Asian male. Uh, 
I hate police officers. I grew up in the inner cities, uh, in the inner city. I slept over my friend's house, which was black, and they slept over my house. We hung out with Lebanese people, Hispanic people, and I saw the uh-huh, police your point. do some horrendous. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, I'm wondering this whole Black Lives Matter movement. Now, if if you're saying that the uh, the white police officer killed this uh, this black man because of a racial thing, uh, do, do you think it's going to solve the issue? Or do you think that issue is deeper than racial, that it's a police dominance thing, that it's a police uh, power trip thing? Because in my opinion, I think that it's a police power trip thing. Now, if you make it just a racial issue, and uh, have the community, like let's say the white police officer talk with the black community, I don't think it's going to solve it. In fact, let's take it to an extreme. Let's say we fire all white police officers. I still think that the problem is going to be there. Black uh, police officers are going to start killing the blacks or Asians or whoever. It's never, I don't think it's a racial issue anymore. I think it's a police dominance issue. And I think that's the only way to stop these police brutality things from coming. Uh, please uh, uh, attack me if, if I'm wrong. Well, I'm not well, going to attack I'm, you, but I'm going to say this. One of the things that you need to do is you need to study the history of policing from slavery un, 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 until today and the purpose um, in which that is different for policing of black people than it is policing of white people. Um, that these are, I mean, during during slavery times, there were paddy, paddy patrols to keep slaves in order. I've got a lot of calls, but I hope you'll keep listening and um, and do some do some study because race is inherent in policies in regard to policing and how it policing is approached. In black How about this? Uh, can I just make one last point? Uh, if you sure. were to just make this a racial, uh, a, a black and white issue, I think you're going to ignore all the white uh, police brutality that has happened this, uh, these coming, this all this time too. Also, white killings, uh, women that have been uh, punched in the face by police officers, older people. Uh, I, I think if you just make this a racial issue, you're going to ignore all those as well. And anyway, okay. that's my point. Thanks for having me on. Okay, thank you for calling. Uh, Pascal? Yeah. Pascal? I'm right here. <laughs> Let me be very clear. There are two forms of policing in America. If you look at just in contemporary history, the war on drugs, the the new tough on crime and the black bodies. So I'm just, I'm gonna kind of leave it like there because um, I, I I I don't know what the numbers are, but um, uh, Pascal, help me here. Well, I mean, listen, I. I'm not going to say I agree with the caller totally, but I understand where he's coming from because one of the things you have to realize, and this is a fact, the larger number of people that are killed by police homicide are white. That is a fact. Now, black people are killed at a twice as high rate, but 
part of the problem in, the, in, which, in which the way in which this narrative is presented is that police only abuse black people, which is not true. They abuse generally poor and working class black people, but particularly poor and working class black people, but large numbers of white folk. And there is a logic to say that if we are made this about the nature of policing, but do not deny the racial component, but remind, and this is why I always let people know that the, the, no, the nature of capitalism requires that the suffering of the failure of capitalism to be racialized, in other words, have a black face on it, to deny white people that they suffer the same things in larger numbers. So it could, strategically, there could be some logic in basically removing the strain from the belief that capitalism is only failing black people, which is untrue, and letting them know that, you know, the police are shut, but, but, you know, Becky and Susie may are getting blown away in the face by the pigs too. Yeah, but, but here, here's a, here is another perspective about it, and that is that historically – Black bodies that you find as a result of police brutality and savagery, unarmed black men, unarmed black women, the Sandra Blands, the Ayanna Jones, the, I mean, it is steeped. It is steeped in the savagery against black people. And no, there's no question I will that not, police are, yeah. I will police not minimize. Go ahead. I don't think you have to minimize it. There was a, recent, there was a yeah. study that was recently done. I have it. I think I posted it on my Facebook. Talking about actual numbers of the nature of policing. And it was surveys of thousands of police reports. And they found that not only the police over-police black communities, regardless of the amount of crime, but police are literally more brutal, more aggressive, more dismissive with black people they interact with than white folks. This is a fact yeah. that they yeah. actually yeah. demonstrate that. So I'm yeah. not, I don't think we have to play either or or play, you know, uh, uh, oppression Olympics circling firing squad to heighten the reality that there is something wrong with the nation, a nature of policing across the board, but that black people are disproportionately suffering the brunt of it. Yeah. Let me, I'm going to take one more call uh, because this is open mic night uh, at our common ground. And um, then, and you're going to have to make it very, very brief. 646, you're on the air. I respect you. Hey, what's going on, um, Pascal? What's going on, BJ? It's um, Jay, right quick. Listen, Very I quick. heard all that's been said. It all sounds good. What's the end game in all of this? I mean, the bottom line is, like Pascal said earlier, the Democratic Party have no message. They got a real weak candidate. And um, Fredo's going to do everything in his power to make sure that he get back in office. Now, the question becomes, if he do get back in office, then what happens? Now, let's put yeah. it on into where it is right now. I thought you, you got these yeah. white folks who are losing their positions constantly, continuously. It's 
not going to get no better form. They don't know what direction to go in. Listen, it boils down. What's the end game? Yeah. Thanks, Jay, and you always do this to me. You always call at the last minute, and we got to get out of here before. Um, appreciate your call and your and your comments always. Pascal Robert, thank you so very much for joining us tonight. This has been quite intriguing. Um, you know, I'm going to call you out as much as I can. Alpha, thank you for staying on hold, but we're running out of time. And I, I want uh, people to know that you can, if you want to look at the body of work of Pascal Robert, uh, you can go to Black Agenda Report, you can go to his Facebook page, you can go to his Twitter feed. Pascal, what's your Twitter handle? At PRobert06. P-R-O-B-E-R-T-06. Okay. Um, and uh, we are going to be hearing uh, a lot more from him. Thank you so much, Pascal. I'm going to put you on hold there for a minute. And I want to thank all of you for being with us and all of our callers, Jay and Mike and Alpho and 404 and 646. And we are going to have a monthly open mic Saturday night. Uh, I know that sometimes you want to get in with our guests and uh, our guests are... um, just have so much that we have to pack into these two hours. Follow us on Twitter at Janice OCG. Make sure that when you see our um, Facebook postings or you see our Twitter postings that you retweet and that you share. We're trying to build our audience up again. Thank you so very much for being with us. I'm Janice Graham, and I'm really trying to transpose Power, information to power, one broadcast at a time. And let your friends know that we are here. Um, A a note, we're trying to get uh, Congressman Al Green in to talk about the work of the Black Caucus. And um, the anti-lynching bill, in 2020 was finally passed. Uh, There was no bipartisan agreement about it. Um, And we need to talk about police reform. We need to talk about local referendums to have police oversight in our communities. I'm Janice Graham, and I really appreciate Pascal Robert, Robert joining us tonight and all of our callers, and we will... See you next week, and here's our offering. Stay with us for our close with LL Cool J. Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. For 400 years, you had your knees on our necks, a garden of evil with no seeds of respect. In America's mirror, all she sees is regret. Instead of letting blood live, they begging for bloodlet. Revenge is a dish that's served on platelets. Transfusion of confusion, abusing our intellect. 
I can't be bought with a $1,200 check, even though $1,200 can make a meal stretch. Had they lived, Sean could have rocked bells. Eric could have garnered attention. Beyond the t-shirts and obituary mentions, Oscar could have been counting grants. Tamir could have went to Rice. They owed them cops nothing, but all of them paid the price. So yeah, you right. Being black in America is like rolling a pair of dice. But the stakes are way higher. You gambling with my life. Say their name. Black Lives Matter. Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. For 400 years, you had your knees on our necks, a garden of evil with no seeds of respect. In America's mirror, all she sees is regret. Instead of letting blood live, they begging for bloodlet. Revenge is a dish that's served on platelets. Transfusion or confusion, abusing our intellect. I can't be bought with a $1,200 check, even though $1,200 can make a meal stretch. Had they lived, Sean could have rocked bells. Eric could have garnered attention. Beyond the t-shirts and obituary mentions. Oscar could have been counting grants. Tamir could have went to Rice. They owed them cops nothing, but all of them paid the price. So yeah, you right. Being black in America is like rolling a pair of dice. But the stakes are way higher. You gambling with my life. Say their name. Black Lives Matter. Hi, I'm Venus Williams. You know, I heard recently... to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, 
One broadcast at a time. by the Democratic Party and we're constantly being told you have to vote for us because, you know, God help you if the Republicans are elected. Um, that that kind of uh, emotional blackmail um, and scaremongering, um, you know, comes to an end and that we, um, you know, force the Democratic Party to deserve our vote um, by organizing movements that truly hold the Democratic Party accountable or perhaps forming another party, um, you know, which I think the Bernie Sanders campaign has demonstrated that there are millions of people out there um, who are hungry um, for a different kind of politics and who want their politicians to be, you know, treating, um, you know, the American voters as though they matter. Kimani Gray, say his name. Kimani Gray, say his name. Kimani Gray, won't you say his name? John Crawford, say his name. John Crawford, say his name. John Crawford, say his name. John Crawford, won't you say his name? Michael Brown, say his name. Michael Brown, say his name. Michael Brown, say his name. Michael Brown, won't you say his name? Say his name. Say his name. Say his name. Say we stand up if we rise up if we pray up if we work up if we fight up. Change will happen. You know, America's chocolate citizens are crying out yet again. That same phenomenon, our issue with race in this country, we have to deal with this and we have to go beyond conversations to action.
went on to say that black men had no rights, which the white man was bound to respect. No rights, which the white man was bound to respect. No rights, which the white man was bound to respect. No rights, which the white man was bound to respect. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now, Janice Graham. 